Welcome to Think Bible, the podcast that exists to challenge, edify, and encourage Christian women to think and live biblically, all for the glory of God. I'm your host, Stephanie Smith. Welcome, friends, to the Think Bible podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Smith. Today, I want to talk about a specific word that I've been learning as I've studied scripture, and that word is synergy. Years ago, my husband and I joined a mission agency called Biblical Ministries Worldwide. Yes, technically, I work for BMW, (laughs) but Biblical Ministries Worldwide has um, a role in the the mission world of assisting missionaries with their deputation, which is when we travel to churches and ask for support and prayer um, just to get partners as into our ministry. Uh, BMW also helps missionaries understand the process of legally getting into whatever country of service they've chosen. So going through all the paperwork, um, spiritual accountability, handling finances, Even they offer resources to missionaries that will just make their ministry more effective for the kingdom of God. And BMW has been a huge help to us over the years. We've been with them 25 years now. But for several years, BMW held a conference each summer that was for the purpose of getting together with other missionaries and learning from each other. So we could ask questions. What worked on your field? How did you handle this situation or that problem? What was effective in bringing new people into your church plant? How do you wisely or effectively share the gospel with the Muslim population or perhaps the Hindi population and just so on and so forth? Lots of questions like that. And so the missionaries would work together to share their knowledge and their experience and in turn, hopefully make things a little easier on the next generation of missionaries that were coming along. And BMW always called that conference Synergy. Synergy. Now, the first time I heard that, I thought, oh no, here's another new thing that I don't understand. This conference is going to be overwhelming and hard. I don't want to go. Obviously, though, I did not understand what that word meant or the concept behind it nor did I realize that synergy is actually a biblical term. So I learned at that conference that synergy is simply working together to produce a greater result or effect than each person could have produced all on their own. Google defines synergy this way. It is the interaction or cooperation of two or more organizations, substances, or other agents to produce a combined effect greater than the sum of their separate effects. The idea in naming the conference Synergy was that the combined efforts of many missionaries would make a greater impact than the sum of their individual efforts. Now, if you're a teacher or a homeschooling mom like I was for so many years, you might immediately think of the book Pulling Together by Don L. Watkins. This is a children's book that's suited for young readers, but it really has a powerful message. The gist of the story is that a family enters their horses into a pulling contest 
in order to win a prize that is enough money to save their family farm, which had been destroyed in a storm. Horse pulling is actually a sport. Draft horses often compete to see which animal can pull the heaviest load. Now, typically, a horse can pull one-tenth of its body weight in dead weight, like a log just laying on the ground. And if you add wheels and put that log on a cart, the horse can then pull one and a half times its body weight. So the wheels make a big difference. But what if you put two horses together? A website called horserookie.com gave me the following information. If one horse can pull 6,000 pounds, let's say, then two horses should be able to pull 12,000 pounds, right? Six plus six or six times two is 12,000. Well, actually, those same two horses working together are able to pull about 18,000 pounds, so three times the original amount. That is synergy. The combined efforts are greater than the sum of the individual parts. Incidentally, author Donna Campbell Smith uncovered a pair of draft horses that together pulled 50 tons, 100,000 pounds, in the year 1924. But I digress. We're not here to talk about horses. We are here to talk about synergy. Often in the Bible, that's um, translated working together. So where does it appear? Well, I came across it in my devotions in James chapter 2. James is arguing that works are necessary in order to prove and to demonstrate our faith. So let's pick up in verse 18, and I'm just going to read a, a section of the, the actual scripture here. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works? And that's the word synergy right there. Wrought. Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Ye see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. Likewise also, was not Rahab the harlot justified by works, when she had received the messengers, and had sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So verse 22 is where synergy is found. And of course, this is in the original languages. It sounds different in our language today. Seest thou how faith wrought with his works. In this case, instead of missionaries sharing successful experience from the field, or instead of horses working together to pull incredible loads, it is Abraham's faith and his work or his obedience 
that pull together to produce a powerful result. Many people tend to question this passage in James. Doesn't it contradict Paul's writings when he teaches that salvation is by faith alone? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for example, say this, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Doesn't Paul tell us over and over that our good works cannot save us? It is only faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ that brings salvation. Yes, that is true. So what is James trying to say here? Pam Forster on her Mama's Refill website talks about this, and this is where I was studying James chapter 2. She says, James and Paul are not disagreeing on the means of justification. They're both defending the same gospel. They are doing combat with different enemies of the truth. Okay, so what are those enemies? Paul challenges those who believe that works are required for salvation, which they're not, while James challenges those whose so-called faith does not lead them to godly living, because true faith will always lead us to godly living, to obedience. Faith and works go hand in hand. Synergistically, they work together to shine God's light to a dark world in a much greater, a stronger way than either of them could do on their own. Now, this is a bold statement. We are used to being taught that nothing we do is good. Only God is good. And that is true when it comes to earning our salvation. But the scripture makes it clear that God has created us in Christ Jesus unto good works. And he has before ordained that we should walk in them. And that's Ephesians 2.10, right after that passage we read before that talks about salvation being only by faith. So God is looking for ways to work through us, to work with us, and to bring the lost, I'm sorry, to bring the truth to the lost, to encourage believers who are not still living for him. How do I know all that? Well, let's look at the other times in the word when synergy is used. There are five different times, and we've just looked at the one in James. But in 2 Corinthians 6, 1, the root word synergy is used when it says, we then as workers together with him beseech you that ye receive not the grace of God in vain. Workers together is the translation of synergy this time. You really have to go back to chapter 5 to understand the whole context. In that chapter, Paul is actually making the same case as James is in chapter 2 of, of that book, that our works demonstrate our faith, and they work together with faith to draw other people to Christ. Our testimony, our behavior, our obedience to the commands of Christ are tools that God uses for a witness. Let's read through some of this letter together, starting in 2 Corinthians 5, 9. Wherefore we labor, that whether present or absent, which in this case means dead or alive, we may be accepted of him, of God. 
For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. So we see that our works will be judged, not for salvation, but for God's approval. Continuing on in the passage, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. We don't want them to face God's judgment, so we're trying to convince them to believe in God, to commit themselves to God. But we are also made manifest unto God. So those same works that persuade men to believe in God also demonstrate to God our sincere faith. And this is exactly as James said. Continuing on now with verses 14 and 15. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then were all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. In other words, our good works are the result of the love that Christ Jesus demonstrated toward us by dying for our sins. Therefore, we should be happy to live in obedience to him as thanks for his great sacrifice. Verses 17 and uh, through 19 now. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Our appetites, our desires, our choices, our affections, our focus, all of these are changed by the salvation that God gives to us. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. God has put us back into a right relationship with him, and now he charges us to help others come to that place of right relationship as well. To wit, that is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. So God sent his salvation message to the world through Jesus Christ. And now that we have and know that true message from God, we must take it to others. God has charged us with that commitment. Verse 20, now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. Now this is the very familiar verse from this passage. And now we see the whole logic behind it. God has charged us with the responsibility of telling others what he has done for us, how he saved us, changed us, and made us new. Now we represent him to the world. This is a huge responsibility. But the narrative doesn't stop there with the end of chapter 5. You know that the breaks that were put in for the chapters were man-made years later after the writing. So we can just keep right on going. We finish verse or chapter 5 and we go right on into chapter 6, verse 1. We then as workers together with him. Now, what if God had sent Jesus to the world 
and then stopped. What if no apostles had been appointed to spread the good news? Would salvation still have been accomplished? Yes, of course. God tells us that creation alone is enough to convict men of their need for Jesus. But think of those remote primitive tribes in our world today. Many of them have been steeped in their traditions and rituals for hundreds, even thousands of years. When no one carries the truth to them, they are stuck in their way, lost, not knowing about the Savior who wants to rescue them. Once in a while, you will hear of a single person from one of those tribes who begins to wonder at the greater mystery revealed through nature and creation. He recognizes the emptiness in his soul. He begins to search for the truth, but that is rare. The ministry of reconciliation, of witnessing and being an ambassador for Christ to those around us, is a vital part of God's redemption story. If Peter, James, and John had gone back to fishing and never spoken a word about what they saw Jesus do, would anyone have ever been saved? Well, obviously God can do whatever he wants, and I believe he would have made a way to get his message out. But I just want you to think about how important this particular example of synergy is. Without humans as God's mouthpiece, his message of salvation could not have reached the lost all across the world. But to make sure that we don't become puffed up with pride at our imagined importance, and to make sure that we don't become overwhelmed with the heavy weight of such a task, God reminds us that we are working together with him. This is not something we must or even can accomplish on our own. We are working with God to do his will, bringing salvation and sanctification to the lives of others. And we know from looking at the concept of synergy that these results will be far greater than anything we ever attempt on our own. Now, the first time synergy is mentioned is in Mark chapter 16, verse 20. It says this, And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. So in 2 Corinthians, Paul says that we work with God. But here in this passage, Mark says that God works with us. Now that's an interesting turn of phrase. Now this is the very last verse in the book of Mark. Jesus had just ascended back up to heaven, meaning he was no longer on earth to be present physically with the disciples. Yet the Bible says that as the disciples went and preached, the Lord, which the root word there is master, the one with power, the one who directed their every step, worked with them. In synergy, the disciples' efforts, coupled with God's power and help, reached the lost, made new disciples for Christ, and as we know from the book of Acts, established many churches. Imagine that the Lord of all chose to work with these men on earth. Now that should give us great hope. When we choose to obey God's leading in our lives, He will work with us to accomplish His will and His purpose. 
Also, think of this. The Bible says it was the Lord working with the disciples, the master. The disciples were the servants, the bond slaves, as we are later called in the New Testament. Yet our master chooses to work with us. Whoever heard of a master helping his slaves do their work? I think we'd be hard-pressed to come up with an earthly example of that. Uh, Yet here is our Lord, our master and our God, demonstrating his love, care, humility, and his servant leadership in working with human men. This is nothing less than amazing. Well, another use of the word synergy is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Here, Paul gives a list of those who had been helping him in ministry. He mentions the church giving an offering to help the believers who were suffering severe persecution in Jerusalem. He mentions the folks in the current ministry in Ephesus where he was. He mentions Timothy, Apollos, Stephen, and his household, Fortunatus, Achaicus, and the churches of Asia, Aquila, Priscilla, and finally just all the brethren. In other words, there were many, many helpers working together to make Paul's ministry possible and effective. And friends, this is how the church, capital C, should work. We ought to be unified behind the purpose of bringing glory to God and winning the lost. And that is what caused all of these people to work together. Verse 16 of 1 Corinthians 16 says, That ye submit yourselves unto such, and to everyone that helpeth with us. There's that word synergy this time. So Paul acknowledged that he was not the only one building the churches, though we might be tempted to think of it that way. No, there were dozens, possibly even hundreds of people, working all together throughout those regions Paul had traveled, and their help synergistically affected the churches, their growth, and their integrity. And that is true today. If you've ever heard a person say that they left a church because of the um, problem or because of the hurt they experienced at someone's hands, you know the negative synergy that can happen. You may have had nothing to do with that. It might not have been in your church or even in your state. And yet people still hold that grudge against you because you are part of the collective church. Ministry never happens in a bubble. When people rub up against each other, there is the tendency for friction, strife, arguing, gossip, hurt feelings, pride. Now Paul wants to cut that all out before it even has a chance to settle into anyone's heart. And how do we avoid those types of conflicts? It's by submitting to one another. Think of what the other is trying to do. Remember the sacrifices that person has made. And remember that it is God's work we are doing. There is no room for ambition, self-promotion, personal glory, or pride. We are working with each other and working with the Lord to see his kingdom advanced, not our own. If we could all remember that, how much easier it would be to serve in the church and to relinquish our own pursuits 
for the greater goal of winning the loss to Jesus. I know that's something that I have to strive at very frequently. Well, finally, the last and my favorite use of the word synergy is found in a really well-known passage. It's in Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together. There's our word. All things work together for good to them that love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. As if this verse wasn't helpful enough, meaningful enough, or powerful enough, understanding this word synergy that is translated work together is like icing on the cake. It's not just that God will take everything he allows in our lives and make him turn out for good. It's not just that we can trust him to bring good out of seemingly bad circumstances. It's not just something we tell ourselves when we can't make sense of what's going on around us. No, God is comforting us here with the promise that whatever he allows us to experience on this earth will work together with his plan and purpose for our life and produce greater results than what could have been brought about without that hard thing. Could God help us grow in Christ's likeness without trials? Certainly. He is God. He can do everything. But he is teaching us in this passage that the trials, the hardships, the afflictions, and the sufferings produce greater Christ-likeness in the long run. You know, today as I'm sharing, I'm thinking of our brother, Ron Hamilton, Patch the Pirate. Many of you know that even in this last week, he's gone home to be with the Lord. His race was run well, and none of us would wish him back to this earth and to the disease that had taken his mind and his faculties away. Because now he is whole, restored, healed, and praising the one whom he served for all his days on this earth. Most of you listening will already know Ron's story, but just if you don't, let me tell you briefly that he was a musician, an excellent composer of beautiful music that honors and worships God but it also teaches those who hear the music to trust God, to obey him, to walk with him. But Ron Hamilton's ministry was made more effective because of the patch he wore over his left eye. When he was still a young man, he lost that eye to cancer. While waiting on a prosthetic replacement, he wore a patch over his eye, and a young boy at church asked him if he were a pirate which prompted Mr. Hamilton to consider that possibility. He had quite a sense of humor. In the end, he chose to keep the patch and call himself Patch the Pirate, and he used that persona to minister to children for 40-plus years as he wrote and produced a Patch the Pirate episode each year. These were stories when Patch and his crew went on all kinds of adventures, from the jungle to China, to the Wild West, to camp, but each journey took the crew of the Jolly Roger and all of us listeners close to the heart of Jesus. I personally was challenged by one of the earliest recordings when Patch went to the jungle to help Mr. Missionary. 
Here Am I, Lord, became one of the Hamilton's most beloved songs, and it settled the call in my heart toward missionary service. Even as I am writing this, I've seen uh, Ron's wife, Shelley, share this on her Facebook page. And I quote, From experience, I have learned that God's plans turn tragedy into triumph, a prison into a pulpit. Now, why do I share that story with you today? Well, it's because of Romans 8.28. Ron Hamilton went through a serious trial as a young man. But why would God put him through such a thing? Couldn't he have written songs with both his eyes still intact? Well, of course. But perhaps, and only God knows the full extent of this, perhaps Ron Hamilton's impact on families, churches, and generations of believers was made greater by that trial. He could speak from experience when he wrote that we can rejoice in the Lord, though our testing seems long, that we can trust God's heart even when we cannot trace his hand, that we can cry out to our Abba Father. God took Ron's willingness to endure such a trial and combined it with his own power and plans to synergistically produce eternal results. And he will do that in your life and with your trials too. Throughout scripture, we can see other times when God was working in this synergistic way. How about Joseph's brothers selling him into slavery in Egypt? You know the story, so I won't rehash the whole thing here. But what did Joseph say in Genesis 50, verse 20? But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Joseph only knew a little bit of the story, but even he saw God working these things all together. Not only was Joseph's family saved from famine, the entire world was saved because Jesus came through that Hebrew nation. In Romans 5, 1-5, there's a list of benefits that come from experiencing a trial and allowing God to use it in our lives. Here's what it says. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that, and here's the list, tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Imagine that God can take one simple trial and turn it into patience, experience, hope, and unashamed confidence, love of God being filled, our hearts being filled with the love of God and the Holy Ghost given unto us. That's synergistic. Second Corinthians 4 speaks of the benefit that our trials bring to us and to others. Starting in verse 11, Paul says, 
For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. Now I'm going to skip down to verse 15. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might, through the thanksgiving of many, redound to the glory of God, for which cause we faint not. But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So in this passage, Paul teaches us by his own experience that our trials have multiplied benefits when we surrender them to God. First, we have a greater testimony of the gospel. It says that as we live, the death of Jesus is born in our bodies. In other words, people see what Jesus did and the importance of it, the value of it by our faith, which is manifest in it. Uh, Second, we glorify God in a greater way. All things are for your sakes that the abundant grace which is given to that one enduring the trial, might through the thanksgiving of many, which comes from those who are watching that person go through the trial, redound to the glory of God. That's pretty impressive. Third, we experience God's grace in a more personal, intimate way. And that's what we just read, that as we go through the trials, we have abundant grace from God. Grace that we would not have needed or noticed if we had not been going through that trial. Fourth, we find that our light affliction has worked a far greater glory. In other words, it grows us into Christ-likeness in ways that could not have been accomplished without the trial. The verse tells us our light affliction works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And how does it do that? Well, one of the ways is that it teaches us, and this is the fifth benefit, it teaches us to focus on things that are eternal, not on things that are temporal. So all the benefits of a simple trial, though it may seem long and very hard to us, are compounded and multiplied beyond our simple understanding. We can be sure that God will do all these things. Because he tells us in his word, all things work together. It's synergy. They work together for our good. Well, these are the things that God has been teaching me and encouraging me with from James chapter 2. God is always looking for ways to let us cooperate with him, ways to be an accomplice in our work of doing his will, and ways to bring the events and circumstances of our lives together in such a way that, by His power and grace, they produce eternal results. No matter where you may be in your life, no matter what you may be going through today, you can be sure that God knows and will be working in synergy 
to cause the best possible outcome for you and for others. It's always for your good and his glory. He is a good and great God. You've been listening to the Think Bible Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Smith. Please visit us at our website, www.thinkbible.online, to learn more about our ministry or to take advantage of the resources we have there for you. That's www.thinkbible.online. You can also find us at Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the name Think Bible. Until next time, let's all think and live biblically for the glory of God.